don't forget the clocks go forward tomorrow, don't anyone else get a text? I was like, I'm not too worried, because like Jen was saying, in this technological age, the, the phone kind of does the job for us. I can remember a time when you know, human survival didn't seem like it depended on you know, one of these things. Uh, nowadays, it seems that like I can't live without this in my pocket. So I remember when that wasn't the case, and um, it'd be a morning like today, Clocks have gone forward, we've worshipped, the preacher's in full flow. And I always enjoyed that about 11.30, I'd just be looking around like, who snuck in a little bit disheveled? I'm in the perfect place today to see if that's still happening. And uh, you're probably going to join me. I think you'll be clock watching about 11.30. You're like, is anyone sneaking in now? Check those doors. See if they come on in. Anyway. Uh, as you may know, if you've been coming along for the last few weeks or a couple of months, we're in the middle of a fantastic Joshua series. I would highly recommend um, giving that a listen. If you've missed any of the talks, you can catch up with them online. I can't recommend those highly enough. But this morning, you may or may not be aware, is actually Palm Sunday, meaning that next week is Easter. That's crept up pretty quick. I think the Easter eggs have been in the shops for months, and I've somehow just missed that and been like, oh, it's come ages away. It's quite soon, next week. Um, So we're going to deviate from the Joshua series. We're going to park it for a few weeks. And this morning, I just want to focus on being captivated by Jesus as we approach the Holy Week leading us up to Easter. Now, a few weeks ago, Dave Kemp um, taught us about remembrance and how we can use significant moments to pause and reflect and remember what God has done. But in our remembering, it's not just about looking back. He said that it also helps us to look forward to the future with hope and step forward into that future with faith. So this morning, I want to invite us to reflect on the events that begin Holy Week with Jesus entering Jerusalem on what we know as Palm Sunday and consider why this gives us hope for the future. So I'd just like to pray before I begin. Lord God, I pray that this morning Jesus would be lifted high. I pray that as we speak, as I speak this morning, Lord, would your spirit be opening up our hearts to receive the message that you have for us? Would it not be my words this morning, but yours that speak to our hearts? So, Lord, would your glory come and fill this place as we proclaim the name of Jesus and all that he's done? Amen. Now, the key story of Palm Sunday, you may know, is Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's a story that's found in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all recognized that um, it was a significant event in the life and ministry of Jesus. And I'm sure many of you will be familiar with the story, but just to refresh our memories, I just want to summarize it. Jesus was on a journey to Jerusalem, but it wasn't just any journey. This was a journey that would ultimately lead him to the cross, to his death. And on the way, Jesus asked a couple of his disciples to go to a nearby village, and he told them that when they got there, they would find a donkey, and they were to bring the donkey to him. And they did this as he commanded, and Jesus rode the donkey the rest of the way into Jerusalem. And as Jesus made his way towards the city, excitement was building Um, amongst the crowds that were going to greet him. And they began to shout out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
And at the same time, many of the people in the crowd began to take off their cloaks and spread them on the floor before Jesus. And others took palm leaves and laid them on the floor before him to honor him. This is, of course, where we get the name Palm Sunday from, if, it wasn't, if you weren't aware of that. Um, now, in the Christian calendar, calendar, Palm Sunday marks the beginning of Holy Week, uh, the week leading up to Easter. But in Jesus' time, Easter hadn't taken place yet. It would have been the beginning of the week leading up to the festival of Passover. And as David Pike taught us last week, if you were here at the evening service, everything in the Old Testament points towards Jesus. And we need to view the Old Testament in light of the life of Jesus. So if you would like to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 12, I just want to take a moment to look at the significance of Passover in relation to Jesus and Palm Sunday this morning. In Exodus 12, God is giving instructions to Moses and Aaron about the first Passover. So starting in verse 1, it should also appear on the screen behind me. But if you've got your Bibles, I'd love to encourage you to read with me in those. It says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be, the month, is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share with one of their nearest, with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animal will choose... The animal you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the communities of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. As we can see, God gave the Israelites some very specific instructions about sacrificing the lamb for the Passover feast. And you may be wondering why they had to do that. In the story of the Passover, the Israelites sacrificed the lambs and washed the blood over the door frames as a covering, protecting their firstborns from the plague of death that would pass over Egypt that night. And animal sacrifices weren't an, uncom an uncommon thing in that time. The people were quite familiar with them. In the Old Testament, before Jesus had come and under the Old Covenant, God's people were required to make animal sacrifices to atone for their sins. The penalty for sin was death, and there was a cost that needed to be paid in order for people to be redeemed before God. As an aside, David mentioned last week that often we don't like to talk about sin in our culture. Um, it's just not a very popular word, not a very popular concept, and often people come away feeling quite condemned when the idea of sin is even introduced into conversation. But... Essentially, sin boils down to choosing to be a ruler of our own lives, to go our own way, and to go against God's instructions and, our, and his plans for our lives. The Israelites had sins, and if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have sinned, all humanity. And it's only when we understand how broken and sinful we are that we really grasp how much we need a savior. Tim Keller says this, he says, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe, and yet at the same time we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We were so bad that Christ had to die for us, but we were so loved that Christ was glad to die for us. Isn't that an amazing statement? 
So just bear that in mind as, we continue to, as I continue to talk about sin and the need for a savior this morning. Just bear that in mind, because I think it's something that we don't think about much in our society today. But for the Israelites at the time of Passover, it was before Jesus had come. And according to God's law, an animal could be substituted to cover the sins of the people. However, this sacrifice, this covering, was only a temporary one. When the people sinned against God's law again, another animal would have to be sacrificed. So when was the last time you sacrificed a lamb to cover your sins? Anyone done that recently? I can't say I have. Obviously, we don't really do this anymore, or we don't do this anymore, because Jesus has come, and all of our sins have been covered by his sacrifice. The animal sacrifices of the old covenant were a foreshadow, pointing to the perfect and complete sacrifice that would be found in Jesus, whose death would pay the price for all the sins for all time. Jesus was the ultimate Passover lamb, the lamb of God. You might have heard that expression before. If you've been coming along to church for a while, you might have noticed that a few of the songs we sing, we sometimes sing about the lamb. You might have thought that was a bit weird. Do you ever find yourself singing along to songs and then realize you're not quite singing the right lyrics? My wife gets really frustrated when we're in the car and the radio's on, and I don't know half the words to half the songs out there, but I sing, <laughs> and I just make the words up. I'm teaching her how to freestyle at the moment. It's... I've been challenged to give you a demo this morning, but I'm not gonna do that. I'll leave that to the worship guys, it's good. Um, but anyway, I remember hearing a story about someone mishearing a line from one of the songs we sing sometimes called Forever. One of the choruses um, in that song goes, we sing hallelujah, we sing hallelujah, we sing hallelujah, the lamb has overcome. Well, they misheard that and they thought we were singing, the lamb is overdone. <laughs> and they were a bit confused. They were like, why are you singing about an overdone lamb? In my head, I can picture people, you know, really in the worship, like crying, like, Lord. And they're like, overdone lamb? Yeah, it's sad. Like, no one wants overdone lamb. Such a waste of good meat. I love that story. <laughs> There's probably a few more good song lyrics that people get wrong. But to be fair, the language of the Bible can be quite confusing, can't it, when it's read out of context and we just haven't had it explained to us. We sing about the lamb because Jesus is our lamb, the lamb of God. And the writers of the New Testament got this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. In John's gospel, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he proclaimed, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Peter in 1 Peter 1.19 says, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the lamb 28 times. From Genesis, when Abraham declares that God himself will provide a lamb, to Revelation, which says, worthy is the lamb who was slain, Christ is our Passover lamb from beginning to end. And this morning, I just want to unpack the meaning and significance of this. And let's work, so let's work through Exodus 12, that passage, and read it in light of Jesus. So in verse three, God tells Moses and Aaron that on the 10th day of the first month in the Jewish calendar, this is, every man was to select a lamb that would be the right size for his household to eat. 
The 10th day was the day that the Israelites picked the lamb for the families and was therefore known as Lamb Selection Day. The family would then keep the lamb until the 14th day and they would kill it when they would kill it. And that evening they would eat the Passover meal. And it's worth noting at this point that unlike our days that begin from midnight to midnight or from sunrise to sunrise, for the Israelites, their day began at sunset. So from sunset to sunset, they would see the new day begin. And it's worth bearing that in mind. So on the 14th day, the Israelites would sacrifice the lamb and prepare the Passover feast. But the feast took place after, sun, after sunset and would therefore have been the 15th day of the month. Why am I telling you this? Well, the reason I'm telling you this is because in preparing this talk, I discovered something that I'd never noticed before about the significance of Palm Sunday. In John 12, verse 1, we're told that Jesus arrived in Bethany six days before Passover. This is a significant detail because if Passover takes place on the 15th day, then Jesus arrive, and Jesus arrived six days before in Bethany, then that was the ninth day of the month. Stay with me. <laughs> You're like, where is he going with this? Jesus stays in Bethany at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and there's a big feast in his honor. And according to John's gospel, it was during this feast that um, Mary pours out the expensive perfume at Jesus' feet. And then in John 12, verse 12, we're told that the next day, Jesus left Bethany with, with his disciples and made his way to Jerusalem. The next day would therefore have been the 10th day of the month, which was, of course, Lamb Selection Day. How did I miss that? On the very day that the entire nation of Israel was picking their special lamb, Jesus chose to ride into Jerusalem with his disciples. By coming into Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day, Jesus was making a remarkably symbolic statement. He was saying, I am going to be your Passover lamb, the lamb that will save you. Choose me. Jesus is the chosen lamb of God. And just to make sure that we got it, God sent his son into Jerusalem on the very day that the Jewish people had been picking their lamb for over a thousand years. How remarkable is that? So that's my first point. Jesus is the lamb of God, and he made his entry into Jerusalem on lamb selection day. But what was it about Jesus that made him the perfect sacrifice? And why was he the only person in all of human history that could do this? In Exodus 12:5, God specified that, to the Israelites that they must select a lamb without defect. And we know that Jesus was without defect. When Jesus was on trial before Pilate, Pilate declared, I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for the charges against him. Pilate could find no reason to charge Jesus because Jesus had committed no sins. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, God made him who had no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In this great exchange, Jesus was the ultimate substitute. He takes our sins and he gives us righteousness. He fulfills the law and shows us grace. He frees us from slavery and adopts us into sonship. He takes our brokenness and gives us hope. He conquers death and offers us life. Jesus was the perfect, faultless, sacrificial lamb, and through his sacrifice, we are made right with God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, that was a bit weird. I've never done that before up here. Hallelujah. Feels good. You should try this more often. 
I'm a, whoo, love that. The last thing I wanted to pick out from Exodus 12 is found in verse 6, in which God instructs the Israelites to take care of the lamb until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter the lamb at twilight. God's instructions to the Israelites were to take the lamb into their homes for four days in which they would examine it to ensure that it was without default. Defect. <laughs> default, defect. Oh my God. Um, what would it look like for us to examine the lamb this week? I don't know about you, but sometimes I find that Easter comes and goes really quickly and it just passes me by. And I'm left with this feeling like I've missed out on something profoundly significant about this time of year. Do you ever find that happens to you with Easter? There's a reason that Israelites observed so many annual festivals like Passover. It's because routines and rhythms bring us back to God. Rhythms of remembrance help us to stay captivated by Jesus. These can be yearly, monthly, weekly, or daily rhythms. That's why Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper. On the night that he was betrayed, he broke bread um, with his disciples, and he took the wine, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus recognized how important it would be for his followers to remind ourselves of what he was going to accomplish through the cross. That's why he gave us the Lord's Supper. What rhythms of remembrance do you have in your life at the moment that help you stay captivated by Jesus? I realized a few months ago that I'd really dropped the ball on my rhythms in my life. I felt convicted that even though I would read the Bible and pray from time to time, there just weren't, I hadn't developed the rhythms in my life. They weren't established in my daily or weekly routine that helped me stay close to Jesus. It was almost like a check-in when I really needed him. So recently I've tried to address this in my own life. In fact, since the end of January, um, when God really nailed me on this, I've made it my, a rhythm to start my day a bit earlier, a couple of earlier a couple of hours earlier, in fact. And, to have more, and I did this in order to have more time with Jesus in scripture and in prayer. And you know what? It has been so revitalizing to my soul. So revitalizing. I can actually feel myself becoming more captivated with Jesus. Whether it's in my thoughts or my conversations or my actions. And I'm not there. I'd love to be doing this more. I'd love to say that I had this down. I can't say that. There's mornings I wake up, I'm like, I want to stay in bed. So much. Some mornings I have stayed in bed. I'm going to be honest with you. But it's become a habit and a rhythm that I absolutely love and I cherish. I think Alice said the other day that it's some, when she was preaching that, it was, that it's something that she's been doing as well and that it's just changed her relationship with Jesus. And I can say the same, and I'd encourage you to, to think about what rhythms you have at the moment. So that's my final point. We become captivated by Jesus, the Lamb of God, when we develop rhythms of remembrance in our lives. So my question for you this, is this. What will help you be captivated by Jesus this Easter? I'd love to encourage you to get involved with some of the events that Jen told us about during the notices. Sign up for a Maundy Thursday meal or come to one of the Good Friday reflection events. Maybe you have kids and it would be helpful to think about how could you involve them in this? How could you reflect on Jesus together as a family? Let's take the time to examine Jesus for ourselves this week. I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. He says, Faith is not a once-done act, but a continuous gaze at the heart of a triune God 
Believing, then, is directing the heart's attention to Jesus. It is lifting the mind to behold the Lamb of God and never ceasing that beholding for the rest of our lives. We know that God is calling Cardiff Vineyard to take a bold and courageous step of faith in this next chapter. And we need to be captivated by Jesus and compelled by his love to become the community that he's calling us into being. And we each have a part to play in that. So this week, let's invite the Lamb of God into our homes and into our hearts, that we may examine him, that we may know him, and that we may be compelled by his love. This Easter, would we become truly captivated by Jesus? We're going to have a time to respond in a moment. But my, my feeling as I was preparing this talk was that I would love for us to take communion together. I spoke about it. You know, it's such an amazing way for us just to remember what Jesus has done. He said it himself, do this in remembrance of me. So we're just going to take communion, and then hopefully there'll be time for us to worship. And if anyone wants to respond in, and be prayed for, then we can do that as well. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was eating the Passover meal with his disciples. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And he took the wine and he said, do, drink this in remembrance of me. My body is broken, my blood will be poured out. Do this in remembrance of me. So we're gonna do that this morning. And I love one of the things in um, 1 Corinthians, Paul, when he's giving us instructions about how to take communion together, he says, um, not only are we to come before Jesus and remember what he's done, he invites us and challenges us to examine our own hearts before we come and take communion. We come before God and we examine ourselves and we say, Lord, is there any um, sinful thing within me? Is there anything in me that offends you? And we don't come before him to be condemned because we know what he's accomplished. We know what he's done. We know that we have hope in him. But we just examine ourselves, and if there's anything that the Spirit just stirs in us, we just say, Lord, I repent of that. I thank you for what you've done, and I turn from it. And then we take the communion, and we remember what he's done.